This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings, and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 52 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a hot topic that's come up the last couple months, at least in the discussion groups of speech pathologists, which is the developmental milestones updates that were just released from the CDC. So in case you haven't been following the debate Basically, what happened is that recently the CDC updated the developmental milestones. And previously, you may have seen just if you Google developmental milestones for language or other skills as kids are growing up, a lot of times you can find a chart that says at this age, this is generally what you could be expecting your child to do. Well, previously, a lot of those guidelines were designed when we would determine what kids typically would be doing. We looked at what about half kids were doing. So what about 50% of kids were doing at a certain age. So for example, I know we would say about 50% of kids are using their first word by the time that they are a year old, for example. So we were looking at the 50th percentile. Now, the new guidelines, we're looking at the 25th percentile. So what we're doing is we're, we're saying, okay, 
the developmental milestone is determined by what 75% of kids are doing at this particular age. So that means that we've moved the milestones back, but we haven't really changed as much as people think that we've changed, or at least what it looks like on the surface. We have really just changed the the guideline we use to determine what those charts would say. And I think part of that rationale was, well, just because about half of kids are doing a certain skill by a certain age, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a problem just because your child isn't doing that skill at that certain age because they could still be within the normal range. Technically, if your child is above the 25th percentile, they are still within the normal range. So I think that was part of the rationale behind the changes, but it does make it a little bit confusing on the surface to interpret what they mean. I know that among professionals, it can be difficult to muddle through all of this. So I know it's certainly difficult for other professionals who might not be looking at languages closely as as a speech pathologist, for example. And I think it's also super confusing to parents who are just trying to figure out how to best support their kids. So What I wanted to share in this episode today was that recently in my SLP Learning Academy program for SLPs, I did a video to explain the decision-making process that you should use when you are doing language screenings and evaluations. And I did it with the lens of let's figure out how to consider these developmental norms in the process. And really the thing is, is that even though these guidelines have changed, speech pathologists and professionals and parents, we just need to have a good decision-making process when we're deciding, okay, you know, does a child need services and what does that look like and how can we best support them? So yes, some of these guidelines might look a little different, but really it's just about having a good process for making decisions and also interpreting information and making sure we're doing that accurately. So through the course of this This episode, I am just going to share the audio. Originally, the video had a couple slides. They're just two really simple slides. One has a flow chart. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to link to that flow chart. It's just a simple Google a, a Google Slides presentation. I'm going to link to that in the show notes because it might help you to have a visual. So I am going to link to that Google Slide deck so that you can have that visual and just follow along there. And hopefully this helps you to understand how decisions can be made when we're thinking about making good decisions and deciding which kids need to be evaluated and and which kids need specific interventions. Obviously, if you're an SLP Learning Academy member, this training is in your dashboard, but you're welcome to listen to it here as well. So I normally share a link to some kind of a resource in all of my episodes, but today I'm just going to let you know, again, check the show notes for the link to the Google slide deck for the information. And if you are interested in learning more about SLP Learning Academy, my program where I mentor SLPs and just support them in advocating for the field and our profession, definitely check out the show notes as well for the link to that sign-up page. So now please enjoy this episode where I talk a little bit about how we can navigate these developmental milestones. Mm-hmm. 
All right, I believe we are live. So here we go. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and get started here. And this month I wanted to talk about a topic that has been coming up quite a bit in the SLP world, which is the new developmental milestones that were released by the CDC. So I am going to tackle this from a different angle than other people have tackled it, uh, just because I think that when it comes to thinking about how we should use these developmental milestones and how we should make good decisions for our clients, there are a number of questions that we need to answer in order to do that. And I wanted to just give some clarity on how we can navigate all this. So I'm going to get through my... Um, some of my common things, some of the common things that have come up for people when it comes to this whole debate. And then I'm going to give you a flow chart, which I have up on the screen if you're watching the live video, that can just help us to make good decisions when it comes to just figuring out how to continue serving our clients at the highest level. So I'm going to go through one by one just some of the things that have come up in other groups. I don't want to reiterate a lot of the discussions that have happened, but rather just give you a different way of looking at this and problem solving through it. So without further ado, let's get to it. So I guess, obviously, if you have been following the the whole discussion recently, the CDC released some new developmental milestones for for early language. And there are a number of concerns that have come up when it comes to just figuring out what they actually mean. So I'm going to go through some of the things that I've seen come up in groups and then just some debates that have come up, but then also talk about, all right, what do we do with all of this? So uh, one of the first concerns that came up that I saw being brought up with this whole discussion was that when the CDC released these guidelines, one of the things that people noticed is that we still have very, um, what's the word I want to use? I don't want to say aggressive, but I would say very, there's there's a lot more expected in the early grades when it comes to just you know, we're expecting a lot more when kids are in kindergarten. We know that when kids get to kindergarten, it used to be more play-based in previous generations, but now it's really, there's really a heavy emphasis on literacy, which isn't a bad thing, but we do just want to keep in mind what a normal developmental progression is and what we can be expecting of kids at certain ages. So again, that's one thing that that is still there. But then the other concern is that a lot of the other milestones were, on the surface, it looks like they appeared to be to be later. So it looked like on the surface like we made the early milestones before kindergarten less stringent and we don't expect as much at an earlier age compared to before, but we didn't really change the expectations for when kids are kindergarten age. And so I think a lot of people are concerned saying, you know, if we are making the milestones look 
you know, like, are we going to be letting kids fall through the cracks? And then if we're not lowering our expectations and at the kindergarten age, are we going to be, you know, having kids come to school not prepared? Are we going to be letting kids fall through the cracks? And that's kind of the main concern. And really all that happened was that what they did for a lot of the ages is instead of saying, you know, this is at, at this age, uh, this particular skill is expected, um, what they normally did before was that they would list the milestone to be at the age when about 50% of kids typically have the skill. What they did was move it back to the age that about 75% of kids would be expected to have the skill. So they didn't necessarily lower the standards as much as they just are starting to explain it differently. And so people, again, are concerned that, you know, again, we're going to look at kids and let them, you know, continue like thinking, oh, well, they aren't meeting these certain milestones by this age. Well, that means, you know, they'll just grow out of it. And then, you know, again, people are concerned that we're not going to be identifying kids in need of services. So that's one end of the concern. And that's, that's one thing that it, that has happened. Um, one of the other concerns that was brought up was that number one, a lot of the, that the CDC and a lot of the sources that were used as kind of a rationale for why they changed these guidelines. There's not a lot of research and evidence being cited to clarify where they got this information. And then the other concern is that there were not any speech pathologists involved in this panel discussion of people who came up with the milestones. So I agree that those things are concerning. Again, there were other professionals that would have expertise in child development, but if you're going to be talking about language, you should probably have a language expert. So I agree that that's concerning. And I do think that, you know, it's beneficial that we speak out about this, but, you know, it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means that we probably should be involved in the future if we can do something about it. And then on the other end of things, we also should um, just, you know, keep in mind that I, I think that it would be, it, it makes sense for them to make it clear where this information came from. I think there would be a lot less skepticism if that was the case. So I agree those things are concerning. Is it the end of the world? No, but... Should we continue to be asking questions? Yes, absolutely. So the, the other concern, um, the other side of the debate that I have heard is that these developmental milestones and just developmental milestones in general are based on neurotypical children. And if we are thinking about kids who are not neurotypical, such as autistic kids, you know, we're, if we're considering a neurodivergence, then do these developmental milestones apply? And if you are saying that kids are delayed or that there's something wrong because they aren't meeting these milestones, are you being ableist? So that's the other question that has come up. And so I, I do think that's a valid question to be asking is that would we expect these milestones and would we expect a child to follow this typical developmental progression if they are not neurotypical and would that be a cause of concern? Maybe, maybe not. But again, um, I think it's a fair question to be asking. So those are some of the things that have come up. 
So what I've done is that, you know, with all of these questions out there, I wanted to just give you kind of a flow chart to be able to navigate your clinical decision-making process. Um, just, you know, one of the things I did want to say was with school age, there really haven't been clear developmental milestones ever for school age from kindergarten through 12th grade. There have been clearer milestones available in the past, or at least there was more information from zero to six. Um, now, obviously, that's, you know, they've been changed, but uh, with school age, we never really had clear developmental milestones because kids don't follow this clear linear progression upward from kindergarten through 12th grade when it comes to language. And I've always challenged people when they've said, hey, what vocabulary words are age appropriate at what grade level? What language skills are age appropriate at what grade level? Well, yes, we do need to know what's expected in their environment. We need to know the demands of the environment so that we can help kids to navigate them and, and be successful in the things that they need to do in order to move forward and, and succeed in school and in life. But really, the question to be asking isn't necessarily what's age appropriate, because that is so highly dependent on environment and exposure. So we have never really had good developmental milestones, or I would say clear a clear picture of what developmental milestones should look like for school age. So if you are working with school age populations, not a lot is going to change for you because you're still going to have to use good a good decision-making process, just like you did before. Now, just the people who are working with kids earlier on are going to have to do that as well because the milestones have changed. And so it's really all about the interpretation. I've always encouraged people to be asking a different question rather than saying what's age-appropriate, saying, okay, what what do we want the child to do in order for them to be successful and how do we help them do it? Are milestones part of that discussion? Yes, but are they the end goal? Not always. So they are a guideline, but they're not the be all end all. With kids in the school age, I've always encouraged people to be asking the question, all right, what are kids exposed to? What are some of the demands of their environment? And what's going to be important to them in moving forward through that environment? And how do we help them get there? And sometimes that means meeting a certain grade level standard, but sometimes it just means moving that child to the next level. Maybe it looks a little bit different than what everybody's doing at that age, but if it's something that is moving them forward, then, you know, then that's okay. So we want to be thinking about that and, and asking the question that way. And that's always what we had to do for school age. And that's what we should be doing for, for all kids. So even though there is some confusion about what these milestones mean, we still always want to be asking those questions. And again, you know, even before, just because 50% of kids had a certain skill at a certain age, it doesn't mean that something is wrong because, you know, one particular child hasn't met that milestone yet. Because again, it's kind of a range. And, and I see this happening in school age as well. When you think about things like percentile or age equivalents on standardized test scores. Again, a lot of times age equivalent scores are, well, this is this is a skill that a child that 50% of kids should have at this age. And a lot of times on standardized assessments with things like, 
qualifying kids for services, people would interpret that to mean, well, if the child doesn't have this skill, then something's wrong. Just because 50% of kids at that age would, would normally be able to do that skill, it doesn't necessarily always mean something's wrong. It could. It could be something that you need to look into, but it's not a clear, rigid, yes, no kind of a thing. So we want to think about milestones in the same way, but now we just want to be aware that uh, worth talking about for, you know, 75% of the kids versus, you know, 50% of the kids when we're thinking about how the milestones are determined. Um, is this a better way of doing things? I don't know yet. Um, I, I think only time will tell. And I think that we do need to be advocates in helping people to um, understand what information means and just understand, just really looking at functioning rather than just, you know, can we check off this box of, of whether this child is or isn't doing this particular skill in this particular situation. So we always want to be doing that. So with this flow chart that I have on the screen, this is a decision-making process that I have always recommended for SLPs working with school age, but I think it applies across the age range. So this is this is these are basically the questions that you want to ask when you are talking about a child and, and thinking about developmental milestones. So the first question that we could ask is, okay, if we're looking at milestones, we're looking at what's age appropriate or grade appropriate or expected at a certain grade. And I say grade if you're thinking about school age. Um, the question that we want to be asking is, is the child following a typical developmental progression? So that is the first question. So we can tell by looking at the developmental norms if they are following the typical developmental progression that's outlined in the norms. And the question that we would, the, the answer would either be yes or no. Either they are or they aren't. Or maybe they are for certain skills and they aren't for others. And and if they aren't for others, then again, the, the question or the, the answer to the question would probably be no. So again, is the child following a typical developmental progression? So if yes, then the next question that we want to ask, answer is, are they having any issues functioning that you would suspect that could be related to communication? So are they following a typical developmental progression? Yes. Are, so if so, if they're following the typical progression, are they having any issues functioning that you suspect to be related to communication? And this is assuming that you're you're asking this question of a child who's been referred to you. So they're, you know, again, you're you're suspecting that there might be something going on. So are they having any issues functioning that you suspect to be related to communication? So even if a child is following a typical developmental progression, it doesn't mean that everything is in the all clear. Maybe they are, or maybe they aren't. Um, so um, if you suspect that there are not any issues relating to communication, no. Typically, in that case, uh, speech and language services are not recommended. So if they aren't having any issues related to communication, they're following a typical developmental progression, typically we wouldn't recommend services or we wouldn't recommend looking further into things. Um, if the answer is yes, they are having issues or you're thinking that they might have some issues relating to functioning and um, and that they are related to communication, then even if a child is following the typical progression and meeting milestones, 
there might be some other ways that they're functioning that that are they're causing an issue. So they might pass the screening, for example, meaning they're meeting the milestones, but you still suspect there's something going on. So if that's the case, there could be further investigation needed and you could still decide to do some kind of an evaluation. And again, if that's the case, you know, you do your evaluation and you are answering the question, you know, okay, we further investigated. Do we have evidence that there are communication skills that are impacting functioning? So this is after doing your eval. The answer is either yes or no. If it's yes, then you're going to provide services to work on those skills to improve functioning. And if not, then speech and language services are not recommended. And and again, I will I will link to this flow chart that I'm following and explaining. So basically the and the the thing that we want to answer is okay, is there something that we need to look further into here? If a child is not following a typical developmental progression, it might not necessarily mean that we need to provide services, but what it does mean is, hey, there's something going on here. Let's look further into this. That's all we're saying. We're not saying there's something wrong with the child. We're not saying for sure they need intervention. We don't know yet. All we need, to, all we, all we know is, hey, what's going on here? So, on on that side, that's how we would handle it. Those are the steps that you would follow if the child is, you know, maybe there's some kind of concern, there's been some kind of a referral, and um, you find that they are meeting their milestones, but you still suspect something's going on. And then, you know, again, you might evaluate and they may or may not qualify. So that's one scenario. So now let me go down to the other end of this flow chart and talk about what would happen and what your process might look like if a child is... Um, is not following the typical developmental progression. So again, the first question is, is the child following a typical developmental progression? Let's say, no, that they're not. No, they're not. Okay, does that mean that there's something wrong with them? Does that mean that we're, you know, for sure making any decisions? Not yet. All we know is further investigation is needed. So if that's the case, you know, again, this is where you would, let's say that you've done some kind of a screening or a checklist and all you know is further investigation is needed. So this might be a failed screening or something like that. Um, we're not diagnosing at this point. We're just using the milestones to let us know if we need to look into this any further. So we decide, okay, they're not following a typical developmental progression. And we have to ask the question, what's going on here? We investigate further and we see, do we have evidence based on our further or investigating, which would be an evaluation. After further investigating, do we have evidence that communication skills are impacting functioning? And are there, are, is there something going on here that requires us to intervene in some way? And again, either yes or no. If it's no, then obviously speech and language services are not recommended. Sometimes uh, a child is not necessarily meeting milestones, but when we look further into things, we realize, okay, you know, we don't necessarily need services here. Maybe we need to just provide some additional training for parents. Maybe the things that are impacting the functioning don't have to do with communication. We don't automatically know if they qualify just because they're not, they fail a screening or they're not meeting their milestones, but we want to look into it. And, you know, if we do the eval and determine that, that 
it's it's not related to communication, then obviously services are not recommended. And then obviously, if we do recognize that there's something going on that's related to communication, that's when we would recommend therapy, they'd qualify for services, and we design an intervention plan. So when it comes to this whole developmental progression, again, just because they're not meeting their milestones doesn't mean that you know, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong, but it does mean that we need to look further into things. Now, with the whole debate about, you know, is it, are they based on neurotypical norms and things like that? Well, if they're not following a typical developmental progression, it could mean that there's a delay and they need some kind of intervention to move their skills along, but it could also mean that they're not neurotypical. And if that's the case, just meaning trying to get the child to meet those developmental milestones might not make sense for them because we know that if a child is not neurotypical, they don't follow that typical developmental progression. So it, again, uh, taking note of the fact that they aren't following that developmental progression is still relevant. It doesn't mean that we want to force them to progress a certain way, but what it does mean is that, hey, you know, I mean, isn't it relevant to note whether a child might not be neurotypical. That's useful information to know. So again, the the milestones are still relevant. It's more what we do with them where we want to have that clarity. Because if we do know that that a child does not uh, is not neurotypical, then we might not expect them to move through this developmental progression in the same way. We might still be working with them, but we're just, the way that we expect them to move along is going to be different and we do wanna take that into account. So I'm gonna move on to my next slide here and just talk a little bit about what the goal of intervention is. So I talked about the two scenarios where it's, are they following the progression, yes or no? And, you know, do we need to do an evaluation? Yes or no, you do the evaluation and then you determine, you know, okay, is intervention warranted? Well, again, keeping in mind that yes, the the milestones are relevant when we're planning intervention, but the milestones aren't necessarily the goal of intervention. They're part of it, but they're not the whole thing. So what is the whole point of intervention? It's to improve functioning. And so one of those things could be, you know, we might want to improve that child's ability to communicate their wants and needs. We might want to improve their ability to form relationships. We want to improve their ability to do functional life skills like problem solving, executive functioning, literacy. All of this depends on what the child is, what their environment is what they're expected to do, what's what their goals are in life and what they want to do. So again, it's it's not just the goal isn't just meeting the milestones, it's to be able to do these things. And the milestones are just a guide to help to indicate what kids need specialized support. They do guide the goals that we have for intervention, but they aren't like the goals aren't meeting the milestones. The goals are to improve functioning. So that's how we can continue to go back to figuring out, okay, you know, are we delivering intervention with the right the right mindset? Are we doing this in a way that is, you know, avoiding ableism? Are we doing this in a way that is keeping in mind that 
kids of different neurological profiles might move through these these milestones a little bit differently. Yes. Again, I, I think it's still good to have solid a solid understanding of what typical progression looks like. Um, but it, it's also relevant to know neurotypical versus neurodivergent and things like that. And to keep all of that in mind, when we're trying to figure out how do we help this child to function in, in their day-to-day -day life. So these are, I, again, I, I do think that it's important to understand why people are concerned about the changes. I do think that speech pathologists need to be a part of that discussion, but I don't think it's the I don't think it's something that needs to prevent us from providing effective services. I think that we always, especially if you're working with school age, because we didn't have a clear idea of definitively, this is what should happen at this age and grade. Yes, we have grade level standards. And yes, you have your norms for your local area. But there was always a little bit of, of gray area there. There's not a clear linear progression. That's not how language skills work. Uh, we did have clear guidelines earlier on. I think we still do, even despite the changes. I think we do have clearer guidelines for zero to six than we do for school age because that's just how language development works. But it's still okay. We can still be effective and make good decisions. We just have to. We just have to have a good decision making process. So this is how you can navigate through those things. Um, I, I do think we should continue to advocate for our field and speak out and uh, continue to educate people on, regardless of what the CDC says the norms are, to uh, to educate people on what those norms mean and to educate people on you know the the things that might might require intervention and and so I think it's it's always important that we continue to do that, but. I don't think that this needs to be something that is um, going to prevent us from provi providing effective services. So I think that we can continue to provide quality services regardless. Um, and I do hope that we, I think that things like this, milestones and information like this should continue to be updated through from time to time. And I think that qualified people need to be doing that. I do think that they need to be citing research to show where they got the information, because right now, I think people are a little skeptical about that. People are skeptical of the CDC for a lot of reasons right now. And, you know, again, it's unfortunate, but I do think that we can continue to provide good services. So I, I hope you found this helpful. I will link to this this slide deck that has my little flow chart and my second slide. It's pretty simple, pretty basic, but just another a way to help you to make decisions as you're serving your clients. Thanks again for listening. Again, remember, if you want to check out the Google slide deck with this flow chart that I mentioned in the episode today, check the show notes for that link so that you can kind of make sense of this decision-making process. It's nice to have a clear, concise visual to help you with your decision-making process, or if you're a parent, to help you make sense of the process your child's therapist might be doing. And also, if you're interested, if you are an SLP and you're interested in SLP Learning Academy, where I do regular trainings like this to help SLPs to advocate for 
our profession and also to really just be leaders and advocates in the field, then definitely check out the show notes where I link to that sign up page. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.